Thank you. You may be seated. And uh, if you brought a Bible, I know you thought you were going to get off the hook and you weren't going to have to listen to me tonight, but there's still time on the clock. I have a friend. I guess I should say I had a friend. I haven't talked to him in many years now. But he used to complain a lot about some things that uh, America came to that he thinks was killing America. And that could be a long discussion, but particularly he had two things that he felt like was killing us as a people. One of them was the invention of air conditioning. I don't hear people complain about that very often, to be honest with you. Uh, The other thing that he said was killing us was the invention of fences. And so, as you can imagine, I had to have more information than just those two pieces. And so uh, I asked him what what he meant by that. And he said, you know, I can remember as a kid, before we had fences in our backyards, he said our whole street was one big backyard. And all of us kids used to get together and we'd run back and forth. Doesn't matter whose house was in front of us. It was just one big playing area for us. And then somebody started throwing up fences. And then we started staying in our own yards. He said, and then somebody, somebody invented air conditioning. And so instead of sitting out on the front porch in the evening and yelling across and waving at neighbors and talking to those who were walking, some of you are nodding your head like you understand this. And uh, he said, you know, what happened with air conditioning was it drove us all inside And then we put those fences up, and so that drove us into our own houses, and we started losing track with one another. Well, you know, sociologically, there's probably something to be said for his argument. But I want to take it a little different angle than how it has impacted America. I just want to say that I believe that those two inventions that he was concerned about uh, actually are just kind of part of our sinful nature. I'm not saying if you have air conditioning, you're sinful. Uh, I will never say that. You can be sure. But that tendency that we have to elevate our own selves and our own agendas uh, tends to isolate us from other people. Now, we can put theological terminology on this, but the reality is that our individualism often moves us to hold other people at arm's length. It's about us. Think about it as, uh, as kids growing up. What was the game that we loved to play? King of the Hill. See, King of the Hill is the one that says, I will be king. That's a sinful thing, just so you know, in our spiritual lives. When we say, I will be king... And we've talked about this. This is Wednesday night stuff. We've been working through the model prayer. And, uh, you know, the reality is that, that our individualism tends to make us isolated. We have a, a friend back in East Texas who used to tell us, told me a story one time about a kid who grew up in trouble a lot. And when he got in trouble at his house, his mother would make him go stand in the corner. And so this... T- This teacher said that as she began to teach this boy, uh, every once in a while, he would just get up and go stand in the corner. And so she would go over and talk to him and say, you know, what are you, I'll put it in my words, and I heard, what are you doing? 
And he would say, I, it's just, it, there was just too much going on. I just needed to get over here. He had been in trouble so much and gone to the corner so many times that when he, the, the environment got too much for him, he just went by himself over to the corner and faced the corner. Our individualism has a way of isolating us. The problem with that is we're created for relationship. We're created for relationship with God first. I could take you to the book of Genesis if we had time tonight, and I could work you through some scriptures there that help to underscore the reality is we're created for a relationship with God. He created us, and then he walked in the garden and fellowshiped with Adam and Eve in the evenings, it says. But the fact that he created Adam and then looked at him and essentially said, something's wrong here. <laughs> Wives have been saying that about husbands ever since. It's almost like God looked at Adam and said, that boy ain't right. Something He needs help. And so he created Eve. So not only are we created for a relationship with God, we're also created for a relationship with one another. That's how we're created. And yet, that sin nature part of us wants to isolate and it pulls us back. Here's what one of my favorite authors has to say, or, or one of the authors that I read, I should say. Uh, has to say as it relates to sin. He says this as a quote. Sin is a refusal or a failure to be in personal relationship with the living, personal God. One more time. Sin is a refusal or a failure to be in personal relation with the living, personal God. I just finished reading a book this morning by Donald Miller. The title of the book is A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's a book about nothing. I, I read the whole thing, and at the end of it I was going, why did I read this? maybe it's to give me one good sermon illustration and here it is this guy this guy grew up not knowing his father this is not unusual this happens all over the place all kinds of people all kinds of families all kinds of kids grow up without knowing one or either of their parents but in this particular case Donald Miller talks about growing up without knowing his father and for a while that didn't bother him too much and then when he got to be an adult He said it became this gnawing thing at him. I need to know my father. And so he starts this search to try to find his dad. That's one thing when it's a human father that you don't know or that you're estranged from. It's another thing totally when it's your heavenly father that you're estranged from. Sin to take That definition I gave you, I'm going to give you that definition one more time. Sin is a refusal or a failure to be in personal relation with the living, personal God. In the context of our study in Luke chapter 11, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to go there with me. And so let's do about a one-minute review here. In the context of this prayer... We call it, often call it, the Lord's Prayer. Actually, most of the time when we're asked to quote the Lord's Prayer, we go to the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and we quote that one. But Luke also has a version of that. And uh, in Luke chapter 11, we find that prayer. Verse 2 says, and Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. And I'm going to stop there for a minute and let me pull that definition that I've been given and pull it into what we've already said. 
If sin is that refusal or failure to be in a personal relationship with the living personal God, then what we find is in our own lives that when we refuse or fail to accept God as Father, then we're sinning or we're living in sin. It is a rupture in the relationship. Because Jesus says, pray, Father, and the picture of that is intimate, it's personal, it's, it, there's all kinds of ramifications to that. So we find that part. Also, we live in sin when we fail to acknowledge the holiness of God. The second part of that, Father, hallowed be your name. Let your name be holified is the way I said that a few weeks ago. When we treat God as if he's anything other than holy, we live in sin. We rupture the relationship. That's part of what got Adam and Eve into trouble, is they refused to let God be king. That's the next one, your kingdom come. You see how this all begins to fit into us. And so if we're not careful and we live our lives and that sin nature part of us that says, I will be king. As a matter of fact, I am king and I will see to it that everybody in my little part of the world knows that I am king. Sunday we're going to talk about, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, remember? We're going to talk about anger this, this Sunday, Sunday. I'm not telling you that so that you find a good reason not to be here Sunday. But when we get to that anger part of us, usually anger is one of those things that happens because we, we want to be in control, we want to be king, and then it doesn't go our way, and so we don't know what to do other than just get angry about it. We're created for relationship, our own personal Um, move to be king ruptures that relationship with God. When that happens, what do you do about that? How do you ever get that right again? Which brings us to Luke chapter uh, 11 and verse 4. So let me go back and I'm going to read everything of where we are here. Back to verse 2. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. We'll get to the rest of verse 4 next week. But let's stop here for just a moment. Matter of fact, let me do this. And and now I have just a handful of minutes. So I'm not going to have the time to go and read this for you, but I'm going to point you to it. In Luke chapter 15, we have the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that story? So let's go off of your memory here. The parable of the prodigal son is the one where the son goes to the father. Okay, there's the relationship. And he says to the father, I love it that you're king of this home. Is that what he says? Okay, everybody do like this. That's not what he says. All right? Every once in a while I'm going to throw something out there like that just to see if you're listening. And then I'll fix it just so you know, right? You don't have to wonder. He goes to his dad and he says, hey... I'll be king. Now, the way he says that is, I want all of my inheritance that's coming to me. And there's a rupture in the relationship. And so he takes it, and he goes off, and he exhausts all of that resource on who? Himself. Isn't that the sinful way of doing things? It's about me. And so he goes and he does that. But what we find with the father is the picture 
of what this petition is in our daily prayer. When Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, and says that's one of the ways that you pray in an ongoing way, one of the things that this does for us is that it forces us to acknowledge, I'm guilty of trying to be king all the time. And I keep on rupturing the relationship that I have with God. And if something doesn't happen to fix that, I'm going to be isolated from him. Just like that parable of the prodigal son. That son gets his stuff and he goes off and he does his own thing. Here's something I want you, Victor and I both have lived this and most of you have in one way or another. But you know what? When you're living that life of drug addiction, you're paranoid about life. First of all, somebody's out to get you. That's usually true. Uh, Or the police could get you. That's always true. And so what happens is you begin to build this universe around you that it's smaller and smaller because you can't control all that other stuff. When Teresa and I were dating, she used to she couldn't understand why we'd be driving down the road and I would just take a side road and go off in the middle of nowhere. And the reason I did that is because somewhere I saw a police car and I knew they were going to get me because I was guilty. That's, that's how guilt works, right? So this passage and this teaching on prayer gives us that restart, if you will. We have the opportunity to go to God on a regular basis and confess the fact that we like to be God. We've already prayed through this knowing that we're not God. And so those places that we recognize on an ongoing basis that we have tried to be God and ruptured the relationship, this request says, please forgive me for that. It's like going back to start. If you're on our Sunday night, you've been in on our Sunday night study on the Beatitudes, this is back to the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who recognize I just keep blowing it in this relationship with God. And so he builds in forgiveness. So what does forgiveness look like? Go back to that parable of the prodigal son. It says that the prodigal son, off doing his own thing, comes to himself. And he realizes that even the servants in his father's house are living better than he's living. And so, what does he do? You know the story, right? What does he do? He goes home, right? Well, what used to be home. But he knows that it's not the same. Uh, living in sin will do that for you. It starts making you think that there's just no way back. So he goes back, and his dad becomes, by the way, him going back is the equivalent of us praying this part of the prayer. I, I've done wrong, and I, would, I, I need forgiveness. So he goes back, and his dad models what forgiveness looks like. You remember what his dad does? First of all, before he runs, that's a true statement, he does run. But first of all, he's waiting and looking. He sees him from afar, which means that he's missing his son. He loves him. He's looking and waiting for that day that he would come home. That's the picture of God for us. When we are intent on living in our sin, God waits for us to come home. That's not because we're good. It's because he's loving It's because he loves you. He loves me. And when we walk away from him, 
it, it impacts him. So the father is the picture of our heavenly father. And so the son comes back. The father's waiting for him. He sees him. And then he runs to him. Why do you think he does that? Because he loves him so much. Let me turn it back to the way I said this about the definition of sin. When the relationship is ruptured, it impacts both sides of the relationship. One of the hardest things for me to get to, uh, not just before, but even today, it's just one of those things that I consistently fight, and that is how I could be so sinful, and yet God still be willing to take me back. Many people never come back because of that. They just say, no, I'm too far gone. I can't, I can't do it. I, I just can't. There's no life for me left. And the, the picture of the prodigal son and the father there helps us to, to move back and come back to Christ and all of that. He, he, he waits for us because he misses us in those times. So forgiveness comes. And then the forgiveness does one other thing in that parable. What happens after the father runs to him and embraces him? Then what? There's a celebration. He restores him back to where he was before. He didn't deserve it. By the way, we don't deserve forgiveness. But he gives it. So when we pray on a regular basis, don't forget to pray for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. I'm not up here saying that you're just a horrible, awful person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're a person. And because we all sin on a consistent basis, we need forgiveness. We need to mend the ruptured relationship. Not a bad way to pray. So let's pray. And so, Father, as we close this time, we ask you that you would forgive us for those times in our lives, maybe even today, certainly even today, where we have behaved in such a way or thought in certain ways And in doing that, we have determined that we would be God. And we have ruptured our relationship with you in the process of doing that. We confess that before you. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for restoring back to the place of close, intimate fellowship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.